Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Well Lit Path. We are about to open our eyes and our hearts in Psalm 24. But first, how's your week? Have you ever been like caught in awe of nature? I'm I'm enthralled every time I'm driving and I see like a bird of prey swoop down to snatch something from the ground or to see one like perched up on top of a light post or telephone pole, just kind of surveying the ground. And he's looking for his next meal, right? And then when I see one in action, I can't help but smile. Like, yep, he got what he was looking for. And it's even more magnificent still to me to see the bird like swoop down and then come up out of the grass with something clutched in his talons. And all too often, I think we forget to notice these things. It's so simple to get caught up in our lives, uh, what's going on in our, in our bubble of a world, uh, that we neglect to notice the magnificence of creation itself. Put here, mind you, um, for us to enjoy, for us to benefit from and to see God in. But I, I do neglect to see it. Now, the older I get, the more I love to spend time in nature. I have a desire to like go out and hike, go out and hunt, and really just to see what God has created and provided for us and to acknowledge the beauty in it. And I guess what I'm trying to say is take the time. There is a wonderful world out there that God has created to show us his glory in. So who are we? not to take notice. David reminds us of this fact in the opener of the 24th Psalm, though he doesn't stay or stop there. But let's see what the Holy Spirit has for us this week. Psalm 24, beginning in verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Silah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Silah. I think it's important for me to note that uh, all the commentaries I read on this passage agree that this was most likely a psalm written as David danced before the Ark of the Covenant as it returned to Jerusalem. How fitting 
and how this psalm gives glory to God, the Creator, God, the Righteous Redeemer, God, the Lord of Hosts. As the ark made its way back into Jerusalem, it seems all of these aspects of God and his blessings just kind of flooded into David's mind, not only so much that he wrote a song about it, but as we've talked about before, that as the melody played in his head, his feet joined in the worship. So can we do that together today? Don't just get your heart in the place of worship to God but get your entire being in the right place. Let's imagine that we're singing this psalm to each other in all of its instruction and praise and let it be okay if I let my feet get away from me as, the, as they desire to worship the Lord. And it'll be okay for your feet to do the same. David says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth belongs to him that created it, and all of the good things we find here point to his glory. The sunset painted across the sky, just brushstrokes of his hand on the canvas that he has designed. The lightning that crackles in the heavens during a storm, the sheer, the sheer raw power and awe-inspiring side of it. We, we think of how the lightning kind of flits across the sky and the thunder rumbles and claps. This awesome display of powers is just a mere punctuation mark on God's omnipotence. Because he who guides the lightning through the sky is the same that wants to guide our lives. And as unpredictable as lightning can be, yet he holds the power of it in his hand. Can we be such a force that we can't be guided by God? You know, the lightning has no choice but to submit to his will. In our choice given by him as his eponymous image bearer, can he use us in his fullness? Can we be guided in his full potential when we submit to his will? If the earth itself acquiesces to every flick of the omnipotent finger and the seasons submit to his will, the snow-capped mountains dusted by his hand, who are we to say to our creator, nah, I think I'm going to go this direction? Just because we can doesn't mean we should. Just because he's given us free will, well, that simply means that we should exercise our will to submit to his alone. And we are his after all. No, I'm not saying that all of, all of mankind are his children, but in the end, we are his to judge. Regardless of our submission to the salvation of his son, we will all be judged according to our rejection or acceptance of the same. And this is his right. The world and all that inhabit it are his. What grants someone ownership? If we take 
the materials of a coffee table. Now, I'm not a woodworker. Maybe you are. Still, if we take the lumber and the hardware and the plans to build a coffee table, we acquire the wood. We have what we need. We cut the lengths. We sand the parts. We assemble the table. We apply the finish and the sealant. The table is complete. Well, who does the table belong to? Doesn't your labor make you the owner? And we look at God, he set the seas in their place. He divided the waters with a word. Now, was this work for him? Maybe not in the way that we understand work. He, God doesn't tire. He has limitless power. His strength is never diminished. But the work of creation was his handiwork nonetheless. It's from these seas that he drew back the waters to reveal the dry land. He even gives us the name to call it as he speaks the word earth. Make no mistake, the earth and everything in it is his, including you and I. Whether we're his children or not is a decision we have to make, but whether or not we are his creation is no choice of ours. Because he has created us, he has the right to determine our eternal destiny based on our decision to either follow him or not. And this decision becomes so pertinent as David begins to ask the questions. We're all his creation, but what makes us his children specifically? Who can stand before such a mighty God who created the universe as we know it and then beyond the universe we know? Who can stand in his presence and be called worthy based on their submission to him alone? He that hath clean hands. You know, James tells us in his epistle, uh, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So how can we have clean hands? You know, in my studies, I find there's a, a rabbinical phrase that states that God's word makes the hands unclean. Well, that doesn't mean that knowing the Bible or practicing biblical truth makes our hands unclean. What it means is that the Bible defines that our hands are unclean before a perfectly clean God. And, and Paul would agree with this as he described the law defining for him what sin was. Well, how do we know that covetousness made our hands dirty before God? Because God said, thou shalt not covet. Were your hands unclean? Can we in any way in our own power cleanse our own hands of this dirt, this sin, 
that's accumulated on our hands? How can we stand before God? How can we approach his holy hill, the place where he dwells? How can we cleanse our hands? Well, James says, submit. How do we submit to God? Will we submit when, upon hearing the gospel, we admit that we cannot wash our own hands clean? Lord, I've, I've been scrubbing and scrubbing. They're still dirty. I know not maybe all of my listeners, maybe not all of us have kids, but I, what I know for a fact is that we were all once kids. So did you ever wash your hands and then go show your mom and dad and they take a look and they say, yeah, no. Go back and wash them again. And this time, you know what? Get the backside of your hands too. Well, this is a clear picture of us before God before we came to him for salvation. Well, God, I'm trying to get my hands clean. I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to do good. Well, I just hope that one day God will look at how much I've tried to keep my hands clean. And if they are more clean than they are dirty, then he should be able to let me into heaven. Well, David doesn't say those that have mostly clean hands will stand in your presence. No, that's not what it says at all. It says the person that has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, wait, and a pure heart? Well, how do we do that? Well, once again, if we follow the instruction of our brother James, we can see that's when it's when we stop being double-minded. Well, what does that mean? Or who are you going to serve? Well, I like some of the stuff about Christianity, but not the fact that I have to submit my will to God's will. Well, that sounds like you're going to struggle. That sounds like some vanity. That sounds like you're unwilling to submit to God. Yeah, but man, I struggle to maintain that type of lifestyle. Really? Okay, good, because I thought I was the only one. That's where we have to lean on his grace. Where we have to humble ourselves before him. Where we have to say, I just can't do this in my own power. And that's where God responds, well, perfect. That's what I'm here for. I've literally just been waiting for you to realize it. And then stop making promises to God you'll never be able to keep. God gets no glory in our empty commitments. Lord, if, if you provide this, I'll do this. If you keep this promise, I'll keep this promise. Look, the only deal God makes with us is on his terms. Believe in my son and you'll have eternal life. In having eternal life, you'll know blessings you can't imagine. And that's the deal. And what a deal it is. He cannot swear in deceit. His promises are true and sure. The only promises we can really count on in any world at any time 
are promises from the creator of the universe. And when we allow him to wash our hands, when we allow him to purify our hearts as we trust in him, as we draw close to him, as we walk with our father and commune with the son, as we yield our will to the leading of the Holy Spirit, as we're able to do these things because we've come to him and trusted him for our salvation, he pours out blessing. That's all he's wanted to do all along. That's why he created the earth so full to pour out blessing on us. He says, yes, I want good things for you. Yes, I want to bless you. Yes, I want you to live life more abundantly than you could have ever thought or imagined. And yes, my desire is to know you and to have you draw near to me. He says, yes, I want you. And yes, you are chosen in my sight. You have worth in salvation. And then he imparts to us righteousness. And not just any old righteousness, the only righteousness that can be justified, proven, and accepted, his righteousness. Imparted to us because of the salvation we find in him. And who receives these types of blessings? Who can say they have these gifts from an almighty God? Well, those that have sought him, those that find their life lacking and look to him for the fulfillment only he can provide, the completeness that can only be found in him, found by his chosen people. Now, David says Jacob here, but verse six is, is kind of a weird sentence structure for us. What he's saying is, this is the generation that see you, the ones, you know, that seek your face, Lord, Israel. And today we're by extension chosen, grafted into the root, spiritual Jews in Christ. Not, not, not as replacements, but as joint heirs. Those that trust God are his and his alone we're made righteous in him, clean and pure as only he can make us. And is this not cause for celebration? As David thought of these things and penned the psalm here, the way it's written imparts that the first six verses be sung repeatedly. With the Selah, he instructs to repeat or go back to the beginning and sing that part again. And after it's been repeated, and as the instruments swell and we move from the verse to the chorus, the next verses are designed to be sung in a declaration and response pattern. So like the person leading the worship would sing, lift up your heads, gates of the city, and be opened, doors of forever. And then the crowd responds, and the king of glory will come in. 
And the leader of worship says, who is the king of glory? And the assembly responds, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Now, imagine that for a second. Imagine this psalm in Jewish worship. You have the congregation of Israel gathered. And the, the person leading in this time of worship says in a shout, in a lifted voice of song, lift up your heads, gates of the city, and be open, doors of forever. And then thousands of voices sing in response, and the king of glory will come in. And I imagine a smile on his face as the person leading in this psalm then asks, and who is the king of glory? And the thousands of voices lifted up says, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And verses nine and 10 follow that same declaration and response pattern. And as we think of these words being stated and then echoed back, stop for a moment. I want you to imagine an application here. Solomon uses prose to describe the eyes in Ecclesiastes 10. In verse 3, he describes the eyes growing feeble or dim in old age when he says, and those that look out of the windows be darkened. In Revelation 3 and verse 20, we see Christ give a description of the heart of man as a doorway when he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in unto him. And I couldn't help but think of these verses when I read the words of David here in this psalm. Lift up your heads, gates of the city. It's almost as if he's saying, open your eyes, children of Israel. Then as, as they cry, be open the doors. It's as if he's beseeching the children of Israel, open your hearts. And as he, he says this, as he writes of the return of the Ark of the Covenant to the city. And as we look at these verses in the instruction, I would say, look, Christian, look, God lives within you. 
He's promised that we'll never be tempted above what we're able to withstand in his power. Why do we sin? Well, because in our flesh, we forget to rely on his power. But open your eyes. The Lord that made the earth, who set the planets in motion, wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be a part of your life. And open your heart to him. Stop keeping that really dark corner, that really dark room from him. Stop harboring those things that keep you from a relationship, an unbroken relationship with him in your heart. If we would just let those things go, the king of glory would step into that darkest corner of your heart and you would know so much more peace that you can be had within you. Because who is this king of glory? He's the Lord, all capital L-O-R-D. He is Jehovah God, El Elohim, God most high, strong and mighty. There isn't a single problem we can face that he hasn't already conquered. There isn't a battle that we can go into with him that he won't speak a word and vanquish the enemy. See, he isn't just mighty from a, a power perspective. He isn't just mighty in creation and mighty because of his authority. He's mighty in strength, in, in explosive power, in power to conquer. Who will stand against him? Who will oppose him? And while they may stand for a time, it's only until he makes the decision to cast them down. Because he's mighty in battle. He never stops fighting for us. And as we mentioned before, he does not tire. He is the originator of, I can do this all day. He has been and always will be the victor. He conquered every sin that comes into your life before it was even a sin. Before sin appeared on the timeline of man, he had come up with the plan to defeat it. Master tactician, master of war. He created the art of it. He has never backed into a corner and he is always more steps ahead than our flesh or the devil can ever imagine. And as the ark arrived in Jerusalem after being gone for so long, Israel was reminded of the conquering power of the God they served. And as we live our lives each day, we have God's word and the Holy Spirit to remind us that he's faithful to deliver us to do battle on our behalf, to send angels to wrestle against the principalities of the air. So open your eyes, Christian. Open your hearts to the truth of a conquering Savior. We need not fear death. We need not stress and allow our anxiety to get the better of us. He's conquered everything we fear. He's conquered every worry. Your kids, he has them. 
Your marriage, he has it. Your walk with him, lean against him. That sin you're holding on to, he'll take care of that too. Give it to him and let him conquer it. Your health, he can conquer your anxiety about that. He can give you peace when you feel defeated by the limitations it puts on your life. Are are you feeling inadequate? He's conquered those feelings of inadequacy when you accepted his perfect sacrifice. Feelings of shame for your past or for your present? He's conquered your past and he can conquer your present if you bring it to him and lay those feelings of shame at his feet. Open your eyes, open your hearts. Stop closing yourself off to the peace that he can bring on the other side of the battle he has already won. Give him preeminence in your heart because he'll gladly walk right in. He is the Lord of hosts. Well, what does that mean? Well, he's not only the Lord, the conquering Jehovah of battle. He's the same Jehovah who commands the army of heaven. These are the resources that he puts into motion on our behalf. This is the angelic host that fights the battles we can't even see on our behalf when we submit to him, when we put our trust in him. Well, how many angels did God create? Do you have a number? Are we ever told how many there are? Thousands? Millions? Billions? With this host at our back in God's power, what enemy can rise against us? What enemy can dream to have victory when we stand fast in his will and let him do our fighting? You know, I like to imagine like a lone demon coming up to us when a temptation arises in our lives. He's ready to prod and coerce us into giving in to the temptation. I imagine the look on the demon's face when out of the shroud of the spirit world, the unseen world to us, a glow begins. Because this demon you see didn't bring the temptation, but he's definitely propping it up and arguing the benefits of giving in this one time. But we do what we should do we begin to pray to our Heavenly Father. We begin to seek His face for victory over the temptation. And that's when that glow that the demon sees begins to start. It's faint at first, but oh wait, it's growing in size and fast. And as we continue to pray, a single angel becomes completely visible and his eyes are burning with delight that he gets to go to battle. The demon barely looks phased. But wait, that's a second angel there in the glow. Now a third and a fourth. Wait, is that a fifth? 
and the demon starts to back away a little, his cries of deception begin to quiet and falter. We continue to pray. Is that 10 angels? No, it's 20. Now 50. You see, we've put in a call to the Lord of hosts, the King of glory. He delights in coming to the aid of his children. And he always shows up when we need him. His help is immediate and his strength is sure. He sends ministering angels to help us and he has endless resources. Who else can help like this? We have no friend like him, no father more capable. He's the king of glory because he alone deserves the glory. He's high and lifted up like no other. There's never been anyone like him, nor will there ever be. And we can echo our answer who the king of glory is. He is the master, the victor, the conquering mighty Jehovah of battle who has an army that he places at our disposal when we call on him. We never have to live defeated. And like David, we can dance for joy before the one who has chosen to love us, to give for us, to die for us. We are indeed his, but he also wants to be ours, our deliverer, our champion. Do we trust him enough to get out of his way and to fully just let God? Thanks for walking with me a little as we read the word together. Won't you join me again next week? And we'll walk just a little bit further. If you like the podcast, go ahead and hit that follow button. If you have any questions about salvation or general podcast questions, uh, reach out to us via email at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook by looking for LWBC underscore publications.